the saucer pass, bounce off Besser, he scores! The hat-trick goal for Brock Besser! Unbelievable start last night. Unbelievable. I was flabbergasted. I don't think it was sports happiness. You know what it was? Sports satisfaction. There was a satisfaction that I was sitting down and watching a team that I could be happy to support. Mm-hmm. I feel so full of... What's the opposite of shame? Pride? No, not that far from shame. Less shame? Yeah. 7.03 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Alfred and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 2 of the program. Adnan Burke from MLB Network is going to join us in just a moment here to kick off Hour 2. Hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We are going to discuss some baseball now. Look, none of us expected the Canucks to win eight Warning, last warning. Night. Baseball talk coming up. This is demendous. No disrespect to Adnan Burke, who we love and who's a fantastic baseball insider. None of us expected an 8-1 victory last night, okay? And we only had a handful of hours to digest it. We're like, how are we going to do this? Oh, my God, Connor McDavid saying controversial things. What are we going to do with all this? Look, there were some very significant things, and the only thing that might possibly bump the Canucks from the ledger this morning is what Bryce Harper did last night. Uh, let's go now to Adnan Burke from MLB Network, live on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Adnan. How are you? Good, Mike. Jason, a pleasure as always, fellas. What's going on? Uh, what's going on is our love and admiration and adulation for Bryce Harper. We watched the highlights this morning again, and we're like, that guy, there's a guy that gets it. Just an amazing performance last night. And what we loved about it most is that he under, it's not even playing into the theater of high-stakes drama playoff baseball he genuinely seems to love it and relish it and that's what makes it great because it's not put on for the cameras there's an authenticity about harper in these big moments and we saw it last night as the phillies took care of the braves yeah i love it man i I don't know how you can be a baseball fan not love bryce harper whatever your team is he should be your second favorite player because he's so much fun to watch and he's so great for the game he's not only incredibly talented but as you said he's brash and he can back it up and Every superstar in sports makes their name by what they do in the playoffs. And that's where Bryce has just been amazing. You know, you look at this year in totality. He comes back from Tommy John, quickest recovery ever. Learns a new position at first base and is pretty good. And that could be a game changer moving forward. He'll just be a first baseman rather than an outfielder, preserve his body, and, again, be strong defensively. And then for much of the year, didn't have much power. And everybody kept saying, what's wrong with Bryce? I'm like, well, listen, he's coming off of Tommy John, the quickest recovery ever. He probably shouldn't even be playing, but he's still in the box, still getting walks, still getting bases. Eventually, the power will come. And then that brings us to last night. That city of Philadelphia, which, again, as I've told you guys, I'm an Eagles and a Flyers fan, and I was in Philadelphia recently for that Eagles game. I'm like, they just love their sports. And that area, everything's together in one in one spot. Wells Fargo, Citizens Bank, and the link. And the Eagles are 5-0, and and the Phillies right there on the verge of knocking out the Braves again. It's such a rabid market that if you are a superstar that can bring it, no one's going to appreciate you more than Philadelphia. And Bryce is beloved there, and he gives it back to them, right? Like They, they love their stars that are, that are huge come playoff time, and he's able to, to give love back to them. I was watching some of his postgame quotes. The fact he said, listen, I listen to WIP which is the Philly Sports Talk Radio. He's like, I love to listen to it. I love what's going on. Like, he does not shrink from the spotlight. He is a classic red light player. 
And for him to take those comments from Arcia and use it as fuel. And again, in first Orlando Arcia, you know, they're in the clubhouse afterwards. <laughs> he wasn't like pointing at a camera going like, screw you, Harper. As he said, he goes, we're in the, it's for an interpreter. He said, we're in the clubhouse. Tell me, I said, okay, ha ha Harper. Like, you know, whatever. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't like uh, he was giving them bulletin board material, but it certainly was taken that way because reporters heard it, publicized it. And of course, Bryce used it. Now, I don't think he hit two home runs. Because Orlando Garcia made fun of him. I think he hit two home runs because he's a great player. But to your guy's point, what is amazing about Bryce Harper is the fact he completely stared him down right on the bases and owned it and said afterwards. And like, I saw the quote. Someone said, Did you use his motivation? He's like, listen, I'm out there to win a game. But did you stare him? Yeah, of course I stared at him. Like, I know exactly what I'm doing. It, it what makes great players great like Bryce Harper. Such a showman. So if the Phillies are able to take care of the Braves, they're up 2 1 in their best of five series. It'll be the fourth seed Philadelphia Phillies versus the sixth seed Arizona Diamondbacks in the NLCS. And then in the ALCS, it'll be the fifth seeded Texas Rangers against the second seed Houston Astros. So Houston's not a surprise to be there, but there are some big teams already gone out and potentially going out. Yeah, and I, I know there's a lot of talk right now, Jason, of like, is this good or is it bad? Yeah, the positive sense is I love the unpredictability of the baseball postseason. I feel like the NBA playoffs, you're never going to see a first-round upset. Like, maybe it's a four or five, but generally speaking, the best teams will cakewalk to the next round. There's no point even watching. And I would argue much of the NBA regular season is also tough to watch because the play-ins ever make the playoffs anyways. So what should make baseball special and unique is that the fewest teams make the playoffs of any of the four major sports and therefore to better equilibrium of who is talented. But now we get to this situation in the playoffs where it becomes a crapshoot. And as Billy Bean famously said of, of the A's and Moneyball, he said, you know, my blank doesn't work in the playoffs. Like, it, it can work over the course of a year, but in five games you lose game one, mm-hmm. you have an upset, and somebody gets hurt, it's it, ball game. So I think there's some thought, Dan O'Dowd, the longtime GM of the Rockies, said to me the other day, because I think we should go best of seven for the DS, because he said that's a better barometer of who the better team is. And I think that, generally speaking, you like upsets in sports. I look at March Madness specifically. Like, it's really cool to say George Mason went to the Final Four. But ultimately, you do want to see the blue bloods in there. You know, the teams that resonate are Duke and North Carolina and Michigan, UCLA, et cetera. So similarly speaking, in baseball, it's fun to see an upset or two. But to be blunt, how many people would really want to see twins D-backs in the World Series? Mm-hmm. So I think you got to be careful what you wish for. I like the fact it's unpredictable. I love the fact I don't know one person that's the D-backs beat the Dodgers and the D-backs swept them. So that is what makes sports special. But if you're asking me as a fan, would I rather watch Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts in the NLCS or Corbin Carroll? The answer is the former. So I, I think in this instance, it's, it's really an example that the team that gets the buy hasn't been rewarded. And every person I've spoken to, all the former players I work with, Harold Reynolds, Jake Peavy, they all said the buy hurts more than it helps. There's no question about it. Because you're off for five days, and all of a sudden you've got to get rolling again. And if you lose that game one, you're behind the eight ball. And I already thought Atlanta was vulnerable because Morton was out for the DS and Freed was coming off a blister and had pitched September 19th. And I said to a friend of mine, I go, if they beat Strider in game one, forget about it. They're going to steal game one. Game two, who cares? You win three or four at home, you go in the next round. And now we're one game away from that happening. Maybe Atlanta pushes to a game five. But um, I, I think the buy hurts more than it helps. When you spend as much money as the, uh, as the Dodgers do, um, you know, you have to do something once you get to the playoffs. And it's now two years in a row. Last year, they lost the NLDS to the Padres. And this year, it was even worse because they got swept by the Diamondbacks. Um, what did the Dodgers do this offseason? 
I actually think it was a remarkable season for the Dodgers. Now, you are right to point out that they're a perennial playoff slops. I think that is completely fair. The Padres, there were 22 wins better than a year ago. The D-backs, 16 wins better. But I think this is some of the best managing of Dave Roberts' career. Think of how that pitching staff was decimated. Arias, Gonsolin, Walker, Bueller, Dustin May. That's four of your five starters gone, and they still won another division title. Like, that's amazing to me that he was able to do that and still lost guys like Justin Turner. Bellinger had an incredible resurgence season with the Cubs. So, again, I, I don't think they should have won the division. Like, it's amazing they got the division title. But it's also notable once you're there, you can't have your stars shrink in the spotlight. The anti-Harper, so to speak. Kershaw lit up once again come playoff time. Uh, Mookie and Freddie, who I both love, c- combined one for 21. Like, that can't happen. But being the Dodgers, they have this incredible run of, of regular season success. They lead the league in attendance. They'll spend more than anybody. They're going to go get Otani, period. Like, I think Otani is the favorite to go there. I don't know why he wouldn't go there. If you like Southern California, which I don't know many people who don't, if you like 75 and sunny, yeah, it's okay. you can stay there and still have an opportunity to win. And every year they're going to be in the mix to win. So I think it's a no-brainer that Otani goes to the Dodgers. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's the Giants. They throw more money at him. I don't think he stays with the Angels. We can cross that one out. Maybe it's Seattle. But as for what the Dodgers do, they go, man, pretty remarkable that we even got here considering the injuries we had. Let's get healthy. Let's get Bueller back. Let's get May back. Let's get Gonsolin back. Maybe Kershaw one more year deal. Let's go get Otani, and then they'll re- reassess. Uh, Adnan, one, I want to thank you for doing this today. We're up against it for time. Uh, remind me when we do this hit next week, uh, I need to talk to you or ask you about the Iron Claw movie featuring Zac Efron. Okay, Iron Claw for next time. I really want to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. I work yes. in the strings. Ooh, yeah. No one loves Scorsese more than me. I'm going to a critic screening today, 5 o'clock in New York City, so I'll have my review before it opens next Friday. But sure, Iron Claw, Scorsese, whatever you want. Per- perfect. Two for next week. Thanks, Adnan. Appreciate it. Thanks, boys. Take care, Mike. See you, Jason. See you. Uh, Adnan Verk from MLB Network. The Iron, Iron Claw is the... Uh, the wrestling movie, right? Yeah, the Von Erich family mm. starring Zac Efron and Jeremy Allen White. How do I, I get I, I, I read the uh, Killers of the Flower Moon uh, yeah. book. I want to go see it. I'm more of a book, more of a book guy. Did you say <laughs> you want to go see it? Well, I want to go see the director's cut. Like, how do you, how do you get into the... Adnan have more celebrity than you currently I, have. I need some pull. Adnan <laughs> has clout within yeah. the film industry. That's what we got to understand. He's got the Cinephile podcast. He's an Emmy winner, right? So he gets to go to these. He also lives in the tri-state area. Like, that would help. Yeah, right yeah. closer to like New York than us. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Uh, but before we move on, I just want to I, – I pulled this last night. And this is great. This will be a good transition away from baseball and into something else. But some nice audio to send your way. So I want to play – the audio of both Bryce Harper home runs yesterday. I want to play the second home run first because they make sure to point out that he's given a good old-fashioned stare down to RC and listen to the energy. Yes, Greg? Can I also say that one thing? <laughs> you see like, so much disdain. Like, okay, Greg's got something to say. Yeah, what is it, Greg? Uh, Fine. The the home run celebration in Philly with the bell ringing yes. has to be one of the best-sounding sports celebration moments. Because like, so many teams force it. Like, the Jays have their home run horn. All the hockey teams have their horn. Yeah. The bell mm-hmm. and the crowd is just... Mm. Okay, that was good, Greg. I'm sorry that I met your uh, looming disdain for your comments there. But this is important because last night at Rogers Arena was fun. There was a huge scrap in the crowd, by the way, too. Good energy last night. Good energy. It was it was pushing and shoving. There were there were there were shots fired. The one I saw was just pushing and shoving and some beer thrown. Come on, I I saw the extended version. I saw I saw saw the director's cut. I saw the Adnan version. (laughs) Anyway, can you play the second home run last night from Bryce? Harper. 
Harper, high fly ball, center field. He's watching. Harris turns. Harris leaps, and it's gone. Harper with a rainmaker. And another stare down. Seven to one, Phillies. And it's turning into the Bryce Harper game again. So, like, great capturing of the atmosphere and everything. Awesome, right? But the first home run, what could have made a call like that even better? How about on Espanol? Now, I'm going to I'm gonna convince, when Shorty finally starts calling games again, I'm going to tell him, you need to sprinkle in some Spanish to your call. <laughs> tell me this is not complete fire. Listen to this call of Bryce Harper's first home run. And it Picheo. We need more of that. I don't know how we can get that possibly into an NHL game, but we definitely need that. that that's unbelievable. Yeah. Have you guys seen the like montage when they trade golf commentary with soccer commentary? <laughs> no. <laughs> the guy like hits a penalty kick and is like, and he scored in the left corner. Very nice. <laughs> and then Tiger makes it. He's like, he made the pot. It went in the hole. <laughs> okay. Uh, Vancouver Canucks 8-1 victors in a very, very exciting night last night at Rogers Arena. And uh, I want to read some text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Al from Nelson. I feel it's time we discuss Patrick Alvin's acquisitions to date. It seems the template has been set. And so far, management continues to bring in solid NHL-level players Without giving up too much, I really liked the Lafferty pickup right away, and wow, does that player already look like a great fit. It would have been an easy out to just go with Stadnika after a solid camp, yet the team identified that it wasn't quite good enough and upgraded that spot. Shrewd move. Our depth looks better than it has in years. I really like the Lafferty pickup too. Most of the new guys last night played well, and they brought the things that they were supposed to bring. So Lafferty... Um, first of all, he's a right shot centerman. Uh, I mean, for God's sake, he was playing on a fourth line that only had two players. And it was very impressive. Yeah. Um, and we'll, and by the way, that's another thing that we'll have to monitor going forward. Both teams played with uh, one fewer player than they'd normally have. Right. Uh, each team at 11 forwards uh, for cap reasons, for injury reasons. But yeah, watching Lafferty take the puck hard to the front of that and draw a penalty. I was like, yes, like that's the type of things that a depth player can do. Yeah. Right. Just with a good, energy, a, a, a good depth player. Uh, with energy um, and desire, like that's what he can bring you. As far as Ian Cole, like, like Philip Peronic, I think is a better player than Ian Cole. But Ian Cole last night, just the way he protected the front of the net, not necessarily with like his body or anything, he just has a really good stick, and that's so important. On the PK, right? Like the whole idea of the PK is you start on the outside and, you know, the others are circling around like like eagles or vultures or whatever they are. And then it eventually, they work it down lower, close to the net. They kind of circle in on the Canucks and they're going to be looking for a cross-seam pass, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the one goal that Dreisaitl did score, right? That came from, uh, you know, a, an east-west pass and he's able to one-time those. 
if you have good sticks and you're going to deny those passing lanes or you're going to make the the Oilers or any team think twice about making those passes, like that's the whole idea of killing penalties. And for the last two years, we've watched these Canucks kill penalties and we've kind of been watching them and be like, do you have a general idea of what you're supposed to be doing out there? Because it doesn't seem like it, which is why practically every player that this management group brought in you said, okay, well, there's at least a role for him on the PK. Like mm-hmm. the PK is completely different now in terms of personnel. Yeah. And, you know, people scoffed and laughed. Oh, well, look, another Pittsburgh player coming in. But that's familiarity. If you're going to make bets on guys in free agency and you don't have a lot of leeway or margin for error, then nine times out of 10, you're probably going to rely on a guy that you're familiar with. A guy that you know what he brings to the table, and a guy that you know will fit into the group based on your past experiences. So Lafferty's a good example of that. Cole's a good example of that. I assume that Bluger will be as well. So kudos to finding upgrades in the bottom six without a lot of money to do so. Because we have seen previous regimes spend big on depth forwards. The key is to find guys that'll fit the system well. I got a what we learned here, an early one, a reminder. Get your what we learns into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. This one is from Colin and Tawasson. I wanted to bring this up, not to pat myself on the back because I deserve no credit for this whatsoever. Just make that abundantly clear. Hashtag WWL, what we learned. Halford finally got a hot take right, and it's probably the most unlikely hot take in sports history. Halford said that an 8-2 opening night victory was the bar for the Canucks to pass. Well, they did it. Congrats, Halford. Epic take. So what happened was yesterday... We're talking to Stan Smeal at 8.30 ahead of the Canucks home opener. And Bruff and I are getting all the feels, all the vibes. Steamer's getting us fired up, talking about how much he loved being a Canuck. So as I'm talking to Smeal, on Twitter pops up the BC Sports History Twitter account. Mm -hmm. And it says that yesterday, October 11th, in 1978, on this day in BC Sports History, the Vancouver Canucks unveiled their Flying V jerseys for the first time ever and they did it in a season opening win against the Colorado Rockies 8-2 a game in which a 21 year old Stan Smeal got an assist so I thought wow what a great thing to bring up we're talking to Smeal you know going down memory lane and then I said somewhat stupidly well the bar has been set 8-2 is the bar for the Canucks tonight (laughs) to win this game and then I, afterwards, after the show, I was like, I shouldn't have said that. That was kind of dumb. <laughs> like, I know I was getting caught up in the motion and the history. Well, and then they did it. They did it. No, they did even better. 8-1. A remarkable, remarkable accomplishment. Honestly, if you had told me all the potential outcomes from last night, the Canucks winning 8-1 would have been so far down that list, I wouldn't have even considered it. Jay North Delta, for me, the biggest takeaway from last night is the proof of concept that you guys have been touching on. Hopefully, they've learned, the Canucks have learned, that you can play defense and still have fun on offense and get your points. Okay, listen, there's going to be a lot of people texting into the show that, like, this is just kind of how their personality goes. They're like, it's one game, right? And you guys are making a big deal out of it. There's a lot of people that listen to sports radio that think that they're like so calm and measured that they like never have a reaction to anything. Like their reaction is like if the Canucks had gotten bombed 8 1 last night and we would have come on the air and we would have ripped them because they deserve to be ripped, they'd be like, it's one game. You guys are so negative, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
last night for me was actually significant. Like we're not dumb. We don't. Not none of us. Like talking was sitting there going like we're not. You know, like we're not buying rings yet. And he was making an effort to just kind of calm calm everyone down in his in his post game remarks. But Canucks fans are allowed to enjoy this. We're allowed to have fun with it. The Canucks are allowed to enjoy this. They deserve to enjoy it. They came to uh, think of the things that they did. They they arrived early in Vancouver. They had a good training camp. They worked on a bunch of things. And then last night against a team that's supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender, didn't look like it, but supposed to be a cup contender, they blew the wheels off them. Like mm-hmm. they dominated them. They did all the things that we've been dying for them to do for years. So when we sit here and, you know, it's, it's, I was always laughing. It's like, is it going to be a positive show tomorrow? Like, of course it's going to be a positive show. It's kind of like when they would, you know, for the last few years, it was like, you guys are always negative. It's like, yeah, because they suck, mm-hmm. right? Last night, they didn't suck. They were a very, very good team last night. Now, do we know there's 81 games left? Yeah, we've been doing this for a while. There were times last season, I remember, when the Canucks were in such a bad funk that I was like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like they're ever going to get out of this. It doesn't feel like they're ever going to win another game. Well, of course they won another game. It's a long season. Once in a while, you know, a team will come in, they'll play a team that's like in a worse position than them, Mm -hmm. and they'll take advantage of that team, and then you can build some momentum. What I hope the Canucks do from last, last night is like, you know how there were negative vibes around the start of the last two seasons and they kind of snowballed a little bit? Mm-hmm. Like let's let's get some positive snowballing here. Like let's 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 remember that feeling that they had. I hope they remember that feeling they had after last night and during the game and they're able to like it is a proof of concept thing, right? They're like if you do this, you can get that. It's worth it, right? Mhm. Uh, you are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thirty-one on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. What a unique day. Very rarely do we get to come into this beautiful Sportsnet studio, mm. the Kintec studio. It's incredible. And talk about an 8-1 victory for the Vancouver Canucks. Even rarer do we get to talk about an 8-1 victory over the Edmonton Oilers. And even rarer still do we get to talk about this on opening night, the home opener of an NHL season for the Vancouver Canucks. It's a great way to get this season started, this referendum season started. You know, as I was thinking about last night's game and I'm watching and trying to take all of this in, and there were about 18,000 different storylines to get to. <laughs> One of them was what a statement this was by this collective group of players. Because remember, according to the players themselves, the stakes were incredibly high for this year. Thatcher Demko called it a do or die campaign for this core group. We heard words like referendum 
thrown around for Pedersen and Hughes and Demko and Miller, everyone else involved with this team and all the crap that's gone on over the last three years. If that is the opening statement from this group for what this season is going to be, this is the statement about how much they realize is at stake, then damn, like what a good statement. Because they could have gone out and done a lot of different things last night, but they went out and put the boots to Edmonton. And they did it in a way that left no doubt about the game. There were no lingering. Nothing. There was nothing lingering nothing. about that game. Well, no. This didn't go right. The only thing that was lingering, honestly, was the health status of Thatcher Demko. And several people have texted in about this. In case you missed it, last night, Thatcher Demko did midway through the third period with his team comfortably up 7-1. to one. Rick Tockett, after the game, confirmed that it was not an injury for Thatcher Demko that forced him out and Casey DeSmith into the game. Uh, Demko was fatigued. He was dehydrated. He was exhausted. He also threw up in his mask. Ooh. So with all those things, they're like, yeah, you know what, Thatcher? Go rinse off your mask and uh, <laughs> go have a seat. Laddie, have you ever have you ever vomited into your mask before? I have not, but uh, it is a very uh, common occurrence for our good friend Kevin Woodley. What? Uh, he's just he, barfing and into well, his he, mask all the time? To, to give him some occurrence. some slack, he, he's had some concussion issues in the past. Okay. And if he gets bumped, it's been known that he lets loose every once in a while. It, it's Word's gotten around through the circles here in the Vancouver area that uh, you see a little puddle in the crease, there's a good chance that it's yeah, don't, Woodley. Don't go to the net when Kev's in there. Yeah. It's like hanging around a newborn. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to throw up again. Anyway. so It's, it's the, not an out-of-shape thing. Uh, it's not that. It's, yeah, yeah, right. No, definitely not an out-of-shape no, thing. No. Uh, so that was maybe the only thing that didn't go great for the Canucks last night. And then we found out that whew, we can breathe a sigh of, or sigh of relief here. Like, we're okay. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be fine. Demko's going to be all right. When he went off the ice... Um, I was pretty sure it wasn't anything like serious because there wasn't anything that that had really happened. They scooted off quickly, and he, and, yeah, and, and he walked off pretty quick. Yeah, right. Like it wasn't like uh, he was, you know, crawling to the bench or anything. But there was a part of me that was like, ah, things have gone too, <laughs> that is, too good. That is, we flew too close to the sun uh, because the whole night um, was, I won't say from start to finish. Because the first five minutes, I was a little bit worried. But the Connor Garland goal, actually, go back a little bit. A few minutes into the game, we're watching the game, and you're kind of watching, and you're going, man, the Oilers are fast, right? Like, this team is this team is the Oilers. We, we know what they're all about. And then Tyler Myers took that puck over the glass penalty. And I went, okay, here, here it goes. Here we go. The Oilers are going to score. On the other hand, I was kind of like, well, the PK was good in the preseason. It is improved. It probably was the most, you know, uh, encouraging thing of the preseason. So let's see how they do. And then they killed the penalty, and they looked pretty good doing it. The Oilers are always going to get their chances on the power play. They're, the Oilers are never going to have a power play where they're just like, <laughs> we couldn't even get into the zone, right? Yeah. Like they're when McDavid gets the puck, uh, I know he didn't play all that well last night, but he is still heads and tails above everyone else out there. Mm-hmm. He is such an incredible hockey player. But the Canucks did a really good job checking him. And I and when they killed that penalty and then very soon after uh they went down the ice and uh Garland gave it to Petey at the blue line and they both came into the zone. Uh Petey pulled up on the left side 
right at the blue line, and Garland went hard to the net. Yep. And Petey floated that saucer pass at the net. Uh, the Edmonton defenseman didn't do a very good job of knocking it down or getting in the way, but it happened to land right on Garland's stick. Garland made a nice move, and he scored. And what a moment that was because idiots like us had been saying the whole day yesterday, is like, his trade request is going to kill team morale, right? But I think in a way, what happened was there was so much attention on Garland, and Garland kind of probably felt like, oh, this isn't great the way this whole thing is broken, and this isn't great that I've had to go out right before the season started and answer questions about whether or not I've just requested a trade, yep. right? Yep. And he didn't deny it. Like, he didn't deny it. So I think Connor Garland was probably feeling like, <laughs> I'm up on the top line today with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. I better do something. Yeah, I guilted my coach into putting me and, on the top line. I and, better perform. And for the way that, to, so for, for them to get, first of all, the PK, that was big. Because that could have been bad. Like, that could have been bad vibes, right? Like, Tyler Myers, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but sometimes he gets a little criticism in this market. If he had taken that penalty and then the Oilers had scored, you know, not a good start. But okay. instead, they kill it. Uh, Petey and Garland combined for a um, nice goal. And then after that, Brock Besser with a Brock Besser shot yeah, to make it 2 nothing, And then it was kind of like, wow. Like, the Canucks managed that all really well. So, they kept their composure, and, you know, and then they they, they killed the penalty, and then they counterpu- counterpunched. Okay, let's dive a little deeper into a few of these things. One, uh, a moment of appreciation for Brock Besser, who we talked about in the preseason as a hopeful bounce-back candidate, but also someone, well, me anyway, I think you're probably in the same boat, that we actually wanted to see bounce-back because like the player, but also like the individual, and really want to see something good happen to a guy that has had a lot of negatives happen over the last few years. Interesting thing in terms of beyond like the syrupy, sweet narratives and everything else, um, if he can establish himself as a net front presence like he did last night on a consistent basis, one... He should be able to feast like he did in front of the net last night, Mm -hmm. more so than he has in previous years. And two, it kind of negates the concern that we've had with Besser's game over the last few years, which is his foot speed is not there, right? You don't need that whole whole line, right? Like the one thing I had concerns about the line of Besser, Miller, and PDG was like, do they have the foot speed, especially if you're checking a guy like McDavid? Mm -hmm. Like Miller took an interference penalty on on McDavid last night. And in a large part, it's because McDavid has crazy speed. And Miller was like, I got to do something here. Or this right. guy's going to have a breakaway. So he took a penalty. But overall, these three together have found something. And Miller and Besser have played together a lot the yeah, last few and, years. And so Miller alluded like to that in his comments. So it's not after like the they're game. totally unfamiliar, but. You know, I always thought, because I'm an idiot, I was like, put Mikheyev with those guys because he would at least add some speed. But right now, don't touch anything. Yeah. Because uh, JT Miller, Brock Besser, and Phil DiGiuseppe, hopefully this is something that, that can last. But right now, they've got something. They've You never know when you're putting lines together, right? You just you, you never know uh, about the chemistry. It's really tough to predict. The best example is, like, the Sedins with Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Right, like everyone's like, they need to be with like a right shot sniper, and instead it's like, how about this undrafted left shot ball hockey player? Like, you know, and it, and it just and works, it right? It just works. So it's great that they've found something with those three, 
And that's going to be their hard matchup line. Like those guys, not only, I mean, the big story was how many goals Besser scored last night and all the points that, that Miller racked up, but like their main responsibility, responsibility on nights, uh, on some nights is going to be shut down the other line. Right. But I, and so in terms of where Besser's going to be and how he's going to play and the role he's going to play, Net front, screens, tips, rebounds, eight shots on goal yesterday. Like It's going to be high volume from that particular area on the ice. I think that bodes really well for him. Again, only one game. He probably won't score four a night. I know that's a hot take, but I'm ready to put my name on it. He probably won't score four goals every game this year. But he's got a chance to get back to being... The pr- and here's the thing. He was never a 30-goal scorer in the NHL. He was a projected 30-goal mm-hmm. scorer. But the one year he came close, he came real close and fell short at 29. The other thing, you mentioned the opening goal uh, where Garland and Pedersen played it to perfection, really. Satin Bick had a really interesting analysis of this uh, during the intermission. And it was, there was no hesitation from either guy. There was no thinking about what might happen. There was no, well, let's wait and see and read the play. No, Garland went right to the net. Both guys knew exactly what they wanted to do. Now, it's either one of two things. One, two players finally clicking, because a big reason that Garland hasn't played with Pedersen a lot during his time in Vancouver is because they've never looked good together. They've never really gelled. They've never really looked like they have a chemistry. But the other part of this is perhaps that's coaching or perhaps that's system and structure play. Like, if we get the puck in this position... Boys, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And Garland's like, I go right to the net. And Pedersen's like, I put some sauce on it and we set it up. Small thing, and we're not I'm not exactly sure which of the two it is, but I've got a feeling that part of the coaching here wasn't just about what we do when we don't have the puck. Mm-hmm. It's what do we do? When we do have the puck, yeah, you gain the line. It. You gain line, and you're the puck carrier. Uh, the first guy with you go to the net. Like it's pretty common, yeah. Right? Like you just go to the net, and um, you're either hoping for a pass like that for Peter, or at least just causing some havoc. Mm-hmm. And the one thing, like, look at where Besser was for a few of his goals last night. Like his first goal was a nice shot and very nice pass from JT Miller, but the other goals, like. One went bounced off his leg, but he's around the net. Well, that's the thing, right? You go to the net, and it's, it's like sometimes you throw around the hockey cliches, and you're like, you got to get to the hard places, and you got to, you know, pay the price and win the battles. But like, it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's boring to keep saying it, but it's true. You know, Sam Lafferty takes the puck to the net and draws a penalty. There was another number 18 in this market that we were just like yelling at him to go to the net. And there's a reason why. When you go to the net, good things happen. That's where mm-hmm. goals are scored. And sometimes going to the net, people, so people, people would ask, you know, if maybe they haven't played the game. It's like, why wouldn't you go to the net? Well, sometimes it hurts because the other defensemen are there and they're like, we don't want you here, right? And sometimes you go there and you, you take a stick in the nose or, you know, you get a little slash here and there. Like, but you got to do it. And I think that this is what this is the Rick Tockett message to a lot of these guys. It's like, you know, be uncomfortable because the only way to win is to be uncomfortable. You cannot play a style of hockey that doesn't hurt mm-hmm. and win. Like it does it doesn't exist. That style of hockey doesn't exist. It is a hard game. It's a physical game. Guys are carrying sticks. They're big and strong, right? It's just you can't – like there's no game. There's no game plan that you can have where you can be like, I want to win, 
but I'd like it if it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Right? That doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That That's not the sport of hockey. Um, a couple other things from last night. Uh, with the man advantage. Now, we've talked a lot this preseason and exhibition campaign about what the Canucks need to do to be successful this year. And a recurring theme was be a top 10 team in the NHL with a man advantage. Have a high-end, high-quality power play. Three for six with the man advantage last night. And they got plenty of opportunities. I'll say that, especially in the third period. The Canucks got a lot of looks with the man advantage because once that game started to get out of hand, Edmonton started running around in just a flurry of cross-checking penalties in the third period. Here's a fun stat. Yes. Everyone on the Canucks got power play time last night. Mm -hmm. Now... Few guys like uh, Noah Juleson, Connor Garland. Noah Juleson only got 45 seconds, and Di Giuseppe only got 17 seconds. But like Noah Juleson, that may be the most he'll ever play on the power play. 45 he was, seconds. He was basking in the glow of PP time. I saw Akita Hirose out there for a little bit on the peeper. So, but he might get there like eventually. He might maybe. have. He might have a role on a second unit power play, maybe. But Noah Juleson, and no coach is going to be like, all right, Juleson, we're really struggling with the power play. Get out there and fire it's it you that It's you tonight, right? So, and that, and that was part of it. So, frankly, when I, hear, when I hear McDavid talking about, like, being upset that the Canucks were still putting out their first unit power play, and, and yes, like, JT Miller did score a power play goal and assist from Hughes and Pedersen, yeah. you know, six minutes into the third period. But, like, as the period went on, the Canucks did pull their first, you know, yep. they had their like sixth unit power play out there. So uh, you mentioned the McDavid comments, and I know we're resetting a lot today, uh, but hey, it's not very often that we get to bask in the glow of an 8-1 victory. So I, again, I'm still really curious to see what's going to happen with these McDavid comments. They might just float off into the ether and not be a big deal because they happened basically at 11 o'clock Pacific, which is 2 a.m. Eastern. Normally, if McDavid says anything of interest, it would garner national attention because it's Connor McDavid. Like mm-hmm. he hasn't said anything interesting in six years. Last night, he actually was pissed, genuinely pissed off, and took umbrage. That's a word, umbrage, with the Vancouver Canucks for a couple decisions that they made in the third period. I want to replay this audio and I want to get back into it because I feel like as today progresses and more and more people hear this, it might end up being a thing. Well, the hype's going to start for Saturday night. Exactly. Right? Like if only because start. Yeah, if they didn't play each other on Saturday, I don't think no. that these remarks would have as such. So you're replaying it to stir it up. Yeah, you, well, that's what we do here on the Halford and Bruff show. We like to we like to stir it up. Here's Connor McDavid uh, about the Canucks antics. Ooh, antics in the third period of an 8-1 win last night at Rogers Arena. Any thoughts on them rolling out PP1 in the 6-1 game in the third period? They made a few decisions in the third period that I thought were interesting. Um, throwing the backup goalie in with 10 minutes left. I have not seen that. Um, it's not like DeSmith is a, a e-bug or anything like that. So uh, I thought that was interesting. And yeah, I mean, anytime you roll out the first power play unit. Um, not ideal, but um, not our... Uh, Never a situation you want to be in, and you know, obviously, uh, we don't like that. So, for clarity's sake, at the time of the interview, McDavid had no idea that Thatcher Demko puked in his mask, and that's the reason he went out. He thought it was a goalie pull. He thought they were doing load management. He thought it was disrespect. He didn't know. That's fine. Uh, the other part of it, I thought, was real interesting because it would have been super easy for McDavid to say we weren't good enough tonight. 
we're going to go back to the drawing board and we're going to get ready for Saturday's game, which he did say. Mm -hmm. But he went down the road, and to me, that's a sign of two things. One, a guy that's genuinely pissed off. like He's not going to hold back because he's genuinely pissed off. Two, um, we talk about the great, the elite athletes finding ways to motivate themselves. The most Mm -hmm. famous one, I think, in large part because of the meme that it's become, is Michael Jordan, uh, Last Dance, Chicago Bulls. And I took that personally, right? right? Yeah, Michael yeah. Jordan would go around finding slights, perceived, real, or otherwise. McDavid has never struck me as a guy like that, though. But I, but, but I don't I, really know McDavid. But right? I don't, yeah, because he's got no yeah. personality. Right? Yeah. I mean, he just doesn't. It's in, not his fault. In terms of the Canucks putting out their PP1, uh, a lot of coaches I know that I've talked to, depends on the type of penalty that was taken. I missed the third period. My question is, what were the penalties that... Well, the, they're kind of nasty. Were, were they nasty, yeah, pen- nasty so that, penalties? Right? Yeah, that explains it yeah, to me right so, there. So listen, looking ahead to Saturday... Um, you know, all this stuff around McDavid will probably, it'll get played up. It's going to get bit. amplified. It, I think. It'll get amplified, but but uh, it'll just be part of the, the game. I mean, the more important thing for the Oilers is going to be like, play better. Um, Jay Woodcroft, their head coach, last night, he said, I saw us lose a ton of battles. Things that are normally our hallmarks of our game did not show up. It was a preseason level of intensity, a preseason level of execution. There are a lot of things wrong with what we just saw out there. You saw it. Our players saw it. The coaches saw it. Our managers saw it. Not good enough. Mm-hmm. So the Oilers are going to be heavy favorites on Saturday against the Canucks. And you might just be like, what? I mean, uh, They just lost 8-1. to one. They are going to be heavy favorites. The important thing on Saturday, as the Canucks embark on a five-game road trip, is not that they win another game. The important thing is that they just bring the same plan, bring the same commitment, bring the same attention to detail that they had last night. The Oilers had a number of times, there were a number of times in last night's game, you know, we, we talk about the PK and how good it was, and yes, it was good, but there are a number of times when the Oilers could have scored. Mm-hmm. There, there really were. Right, they had some really good chances. Connor McDavid just missed. Um, he hit. He hit the crossbar. He just missed finding the top corner of the net. Right, like the Canucks did get a few bounces last night. Right, let's all admit that. Right, Brock Besser's what hat trick goal went off his leg. Like that is the, he, that, he knew what he was doing. That is the definition of a good bounce. Right, it's like you've got two goals and then like Petey fires it into the slot. It goes off your skate and it goes in hat trick. Everyone's throwing their hats on the ice. Right, gotta be like, good to be lucky. Lucky to be good. Yeah, the, the, the Canucks are going to be the underdogs on Saturday. The, the important thing is that they they look they look more comfortable in like. <laughs> What are we trying to do out here, guys? Right? Like they actually have an answer. Well, they actually have an answer, and I think that that point that you made about the Garland goal, and and, and I know that it was it was Satin Bick that were making the point originally, but I don't know. I'll give you some credit in picking it up, right? Thanks. Like Garland just made that like right at the blue line. Go watch the overhead view of it. They gained the line. Petey pulled up, and Garland was like, boom, right to the net. Mm-hmm. I bet that's one of those things that the coaching staff has says like this is what we do on this team. Yeah, I'm we don't we don't like uh, like that, and that's what any coach will tell you. Like that's not that's not like uh, wow, what a smart play. Like <laughs> you grow up playing hockey, it's like yeah, you're you you go in on a two on. Let's say you're going in on a three on two, right? The first guy, the non puck carrier, goes to the net, right? That's just what you do. But there are things that this connects team. There are rules that they have. Mm-hmm. And Taka talked about this when he came in. He's like, I have some non-negotiables here. 
And that's what the Canucks need to keep doing. If they lose to Edmonton and still bring that process, who cares? No big deal. They're supposed to move. They're supposed to lose. The Oilers are going to have, they're going to be super motivated. They're going to be super embarrassed. And they're still a better team than the Canucks. They didn't look like it last night, but they are a better team. It takes a lot more than one game to tip the balances of power in the NHL. Yeah, but it's not about that, right? It's about setting the stage for the rematch. And, I mean, McDavid, obviously, in speaking with the media yesterday, very calculated because he said a couple times prior to complaining about the third period that they really relish this new opportunity for a rematch. Like, it's not like Edmonton's moving on to play Columbus on Saturday night. Yeah. They get this same team that skunked them 8-1 in the opener. This is a good text from Lincoln in Surrey here into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. A reminder, 650-650. Get your what we learns in as well. Lincoln writes, when was the last time someone hated on the Canucks? 2011? This is fantastic. And McDavid is a baby. That was Lincoln saying the last part. I don't want to poke the baby or the bear any more than we should. And how good does it feel to make fun of another team? We've spent a lot of time making fun of the Canucks the last few years. Like It was the Oilers that that totally melted down last night. It was the Oilers that looked like a poorly coached team. It was the Oilers that didn't look like they were playing for each other last night. Their third period was pathetic. Yes. Their third period, like they, you know, they're Oilers. Like, what was the score? Was it four-one uh, or something? Five-one like going into the third, yeah, okay. and then there was so three they probably just on. yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's bad, man. Like yeah. to, to to they 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 gave up. So when you talk about the hashtag the start, I think this is such an awesome awesome development because not only are the Canucks going to get a very intense matchup. It was always going to be intense. Opening up against Edmonton in the first two games, that second one was always going to be feisty, almost regardless of what happened in the first. But because of the way that it transpired and because of what McDavid has said, because they've got a few days to sit on it and stew on it, this is a great opportunity for this group because they get thrown into the fire big time on Saturday Mm -hmm. and they get to be tested even more than they were in the opener. And for me, I'm like, yes, sit back, popcorn. Like, I can't wait to see it. It's going to be very exciting. Coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, Thomas Drance is going to join us. More Canucks talk here on your home of the Canucks. You're listening to Sportsnet 650.